This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. The reality is growth markets are going to have a different set of strategies when they think about revenue, quality and production, their expenses, access, the markets that are very much in deterioration, losing population, very governmental heavy on the payer side and saying, okay, we can only offer so much at a reasonable quality and a cost basis. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Drin, and for the first time in a while, I am in the same place as the people who I get to chat with, my great colleagues, Rebecca Limestall and Brian Esser. I asked them to come and talk because the three of us have been on the road, going to different places, talking to different teams, some similar, some different topics. And when we get together, inevitably, we're sharing those stories. And so I wanted to share those stories with all of you. I don't mind kicking off with something that I heard that isn't that surprising. I've gotten this question twice now, and I want to hear if you're hearing a similar pattern. The first time I got the question, it was, is the government going to bail us out? The more recent version of that was, is the government paying attention? Like, do they know how bad it is right now? In both cases, my answer was, no, they're not really listening. No, I haven't heard anything from our policy team or out of Washington that says they're focused on this as a problem or that they may in the near term or that the government's going to be the easy solution here. Are you hearing a similar theme, hope, reliance? Brian, what do you think? Yeah, Trevor, the more pessimistic tone that's underlying the entire industry right now is the idea that on both sides, the revenue side and expense side, there is ongoing pressure external, which we cannot control as providers. Think about on the revenue side, payer behavior and what's going on there and just pressure, ongoing shifts towards governmental payers in general as the population is aging and a recognition that that's going to put downward pressure on the revenue base. On the expense side, labor supplies continue to be up. We still have contract labor floating around, though diminishing, but still uh, fairly painful in certain areas of the regions. But at the end of the day, we don't expect another bailout. There was a lot of support financially. Let's not forget in 2020 when COVID hit. I don't think CMS, this administration, views that anything is warranted enough in the current state to offset the losses that we're experiencing. The question then becomes, what do we do with that? Who has strong balance sheets? Who has strong credits? And are those going to hold up? And those that came into this time period a little bit weaker, what moves do they need to be making to become more sustainable? I would agree. Not only is there no bailout coming, but there's increased pressures that we anticipate. Increased threats from potential policies, PHE finishing up. We have a lot of things that are going to continue to make the finances hard, and the situation's not getting better from that perspective. I like Brian's idea. Let's focus on what we can do, thinking about how to secure our balance sheets, how to make sure that we are moving in the right direction as an organization. Financially, it's tough out there right now. Yeah, it's tough. But systems are thinking bigger about care redesign, something we've been talking about for a long time. It's just the norm. Everyone is saying, yeah, we know we have to do it. No surprise, still hearing some of the same old excuses about why they don't think they can change fast enough. I've certainly heard any systems that haven't already made big investments in value-based care saying, I wish it made sense for us to do thing X, Y, Z. I don't know if we're going to get there. But I'm hearing it kind of most acutely from AMCs because, one, I think they're having capacity challenges the worst, but they're also really struggling to think about how can we move stuff off the campus? That just hasn't been their focus. Outpatient to them and a new building on the campus, they haven't really thought about footprint growth. Are you hearing the same thing from AMCs or something a little different from IDNs? We are at a place where service distribution has returned to the stage in the conversation in a real way at all organizations that we've been working with. 
This is something that we've talked about for so long, but it's hard to distribute services in a different way. The challenges of today, financial, workforce, capacity, all of those interrelated are creating that need and that force to truly do it and to move forward with some service distribution decisions that organizations have been reluctant to do in the past. Increasing access to data on quality, on cost helps us with those decisions as well. But I'm seeing that at AMCs, probably AMC-led health systems most, they have a good impetus for that. But it's not only there. The IDNs are moving in that direction, particularly those that have a footprint in a smaller area, but multiple sites of care, thinking about how they distribute care differently to allow them to maximize their workforce, which has been one of the biggest challenges for their capacity in the recent few months. That's one of the areas I am seeing more. I was just at an organization and we were talking about what is the need right now versus in the future? What is the prioritization need? And their biggest need was working together with their AMC partner, as well as the community hospitals to redistribute which cases go where in a more effective way. They were looking specifically at transfer agreements, but going bigger than that. How do we promote this from the get-go that folks are getting to the right place? And they were doing so outside of their health system. This was a group of folks who was thinking about that with their partner. That's exactly it. The service redistribution, responding to the pressures is definitely happening. I would put that in two categories, one being the defensive area where we can't sustain everything we've traditionally been carrying over time. The costs are too high. We don't have the volumes to support it on a quality basis. Patients are demanding new access points that aren't configured to our footprint today. But then there's also the offensive way where I'm seeing organizations say, we want to leap ahead of the competition, particularly in the ambulatory space. We have invested in ASCs. We've done the traditional joints in patient to outpatient. But what's the next, the second, even third wave of transition that's likely to happen? We want to start circulating that amongst our physicians, get them on board, get them comfortable on new sites of care. And we want to leapfrog over traditionally a lot of these AMCs that we see stuff falling out of that tertiary center, coming to the local IDN and really shifting outpatient. How do we think ahead of that? How do we leapfrog the entire market and own that space? recognizing that's going to do something different on our revenue basis. But if we can do that to ourselves, we feel much better than having it done to us by the payers or to steer the patients there anyway. This idea of defensive versus proactive and aggressive distribution makes a lot of sense. One of the defensive things that I've heard, the system wasn't quite sure how they were going to react yet. System in a more rural market, they said so many of the hospitals around them are trying to both attract and to retain providers saying you don't have to take call. No weekends, no nights, and they just transfer more patients to bigger sites. All they were thinking is, how can we defend against this? Because one, not only is it a huge challenge just from a capacity perspective, they're terrified that their providers say, why would I not move 30 miles away? And totally different lifestyle. I hope it's not a trend that we see. I'm nervous that it could be really popular and others in other markets are going to copycat. We think a lot about this from the service line perspective. When we look at organizations and thinking about whether it's a threshold of the number of cases that are needed to maintain quality, the cost that's needed, or it's the workforce capabilities and the centralization of subspecialists, we think a lot about that and helping organizations look at it at a service line by service line perspective. I'd say neurosciences is probably one of those areas we're seeing a lot of right now in addition to cardiovascular We've always looked at this in this way for NICU and things of that nature too. So it's a continued push to really understand the clinical implications of service distribution in addition to all of the other aspects we've talked about. Maybe this is just the conversations I'm in, but I've also heard a lot of systems who want to have a big discussion about the future of their primary care. 
once we get into those discussions, we end up spending a lot of time on virtual and a lot of time on transactional because there's new players in the market and because it's a blind spot. But the conversations haven't quite gotten to. We need to really change bread and butter, how traditional primary care looks, and we need to serve different segments differently. Even though we're trying to set it up that way, we still end up spending the lion's share of our time talking, speculating about the new retail provider in town, what the competition's doing in urgent care. And we don't get to the higher level order questions about what's the downstream? Does it matter? You're investing huge in online direct to consumer because you see competition there. Have you seen Amazon Clinic? It's slicker than any health system I've ever seen and super clear for consumers and the prices are right there. I haven't heard any system yet saying, I don't think we can compete with that. We're just not going to do it. It's not surprising yet, but we'll start to get those questions soon. I don't know if you're also getting to talk primary care as much as I am. The primary care discussion is evolving. It's definitely reacting to the disruptor phase. And you and I were just at an organization that also owned their own plan. How should we think about servicing? We have the Medicare Advantage. We have the Medicaid offering, commercial. Should we be focusing our primary care on certain segments within that? Just an MA-focused clinic? And okay, that would help us compete with the disruptor. But we also are servicing commercial and Medicaid patients, both on plan and then just in community. And how do we make those hard decisions? And who gets better access or better services and home care and virtual? And how do you start to like really piecemeal these out? And if you do it in a very targeted way, like a disruptor might be, and that's their business model, that's one thing, but you're also a community asset and you're there for a reason to service that entire population. That's tough decisions. And how do you sustain that? It's going to be challenging moving forward. Their pushback about it's really hard for providers when you have resources for one segment of patients, but not another was great. And you could really see them grappling with that because they had had success doing it in certain areas, integrating pharmacists, but it was only available to a certain segments of patients on their plan. And I feel like they were leaning towards, we can't do that anymore. We have to either be able to do something for everyone or they weren't close to we'll get providers there. We'll, we know we need to do it. We know we need to have different specialized segmented services. That was surprising. That was really interesting. We speak a lot about this in our course that we do on nimble execution. In healthcare, we're notorious for overbuilding a solution, a health systems in particular. We want to build it to where it's going to meet the needs of everyone. But that's exactly how the disruptors have come in and taken off pieces and segments as they've identified that that has not worked well enough for the vast majority. We encourage organizations to learn from these segments and learn from that. And if you do something, perhaps start with an MA group or perhaps start with your own employees or direct to employer plan and then figure out what did we learn from that pilot, that small scale project that we can deploy to the next group? What would be that next group we would serve in a different way? Making sure that we don't fall into the fallacy that we often do for health systems, which is building the solution so big that it takes us too long and it's not appropriate for the vast majority of patients that use it. This is a good glimpse into how Rebecca and I work together. I'll have a bunch of little signals and Rebecca can piece it together into here's the driver behind it and here's the overarching theme. All right, I have one more that I heard. I don't know if you guys have heard other stuff, but we've talked to systems about, all right, we're thinking more short-term than ever, and there's three segments to that. The right now, the super short-term is thinking about getting different consumers in the door. The midterm is focusing on changing how you're working with payers, and the longer term is redesigning your system of care. I've heard systems say, that first phase is not three years. It's like 120 days. It's super short. We have to pilot and get really good at this really, really fast. I agree. Near-term growth is top of mind. 
the mindset has switched from we're just surviving as health systems. We need to deal with what we need to deal with. We need to be focused on growth and growth now. We talk a lot about the balancing act in healthcare. That's our theme for Executive Summit this year. And that's part of the balancing act that we see is how do we deal with the financial pressures that we started off this conversation with, but at the same time, a renewed focus on growth in that short term. And that requires tackling some of the operational challenges, making sure we're appealing to patients. It requires differentiation, which is something that we really struggle with in healthcare. Yeah, the growth is one side of the story, but then I have CMOs, CFOs saying, yeah, we want to capture growth, but Brian, we don't have any capacity. So it's that balance of how do we push and deliver a product that we've said is out there, is said is available? How do we deliver on consumers? Or if we can't, do we frustrate our consumers and they automatically peel off to other systems, disruptors, et cetera? So it's this balance of pushing for growth with an intentional operational focus. And that's where we're pushing operators to lean in heavily, work with your service line leaders, get it hand in hand with their physicians and say, what do you need now? Primary care, specialty, chronic conditions, acute, whatever it may be, where are the bottlenecks and how do you streamline that much more effectively and really leverage all your assets because we still hear AMCs are full, community hospitals are not. We need to rebalance, rethink about the portfolio much more aggressively and then how do we keep that sustainable in the short term as we build new capabilities for the long term. Those are the nuggets I've heard. What have you guys heard that's different? So on that thread of differentiation, I was recently working with a tertiary organization where they really felt like they were well differentiated in their market. Their market strategy was more about the distribution of services and thinking along those lines. But I challenged them to say, well, you may be just differentiated in your market, but if you're a tertiary organization, we can't just define that by the people that live around you. Let's think about how you're differentiated in a more broader sense, even nationally. And how do you differentiate nationally? It's got to be more than brand. You've got to have a bit more of a presence. And whether that is your actual presence in the market, so we see that with Mayo, we see that with others going out into the market, creating partnerships, or if it's more of a draw through academia, there's a different way to differentiate beyond the immediate catchment area of the market. So I found that conversation really intriguing as we thought about what differentiation means for different types of services and those that maybe people are willing to travel and those that they're not. Even more so, it's coming up and you see it in discussions and then you start to step back and think economically what's happening across the country. The reality is there's markets that are very growth oriented and they just are benefiting from a wave of new people moving in, industry being there. And then there's those deteriorating markets that have been challenged economically and that has to play into your strategy. The reality is growth markets are going to have a different set of strategies when they think about revenue, quality and production, their expenses, access, the markets that are very much in deterioration, losing population, very governmental heavy on the payer side and saying, okay, we can only offer so much at a reasonable quality and a cost basis. So what are those strategies that are going to be influenced by external factors? And how do you put yourself in a position to A, recognize that and just face this is where we operate. And what can you do with that? How do you keep a sustainable organization going across all the service lines or maybe some? What are you going to sacrifice to, to be meaningful to your population and deliver the care they need here and now? Prioritization is a major component of this. I do a lot of work with organizations when we think about prioritization and even the simple exercise of impact versus effort and what that looks like for your organization. It looks different right now. So what I've been hearing is a lot more emphasis on the ability to do something in the short term, that near-term growth that we talked about. But folks are trying to balance that with the overall need to not prioritize just the things for the near term 
but to think about things for the future. So I worked with one organization where they were grappling with just that. How do we prioritize some of the stuff that we need to do today for growth, for capacity, for workforce issues, but at the same time, not lose sight of health equity and being able to provide care for all of those patients in our community. That's hard stuff. It's not going to happen overnight. Their goals were pretty ambitious in this space. It's a multi-year commitment. How do we keep that commitment while still hitting some of the pieces that we know we need to prioritize to keep our doors open? Good ones. A little different than what I'm hearing, but I like it. Something I haven't heard, and you can laugh at me because it's something that I thought we would be hearing by now. For the last year, we've been talking about big change in leadership. We've never seen this much turnover. I haven't really seen institutions making big changes in trajectory or pivots or markets reshaping because there was a bunch of turnover of CEOs. I really feel like we haven't seen the impact at all. Maybe it's too soon. Maybe everyone's dealing with problems so similar. It's something I'm still paying attention to, but definitely haven't seen it yet. I've seen a bit. There's definitely been C-suite leaders that have exited. The changes that I'm seeing more aggressively are external. Employers getting very frustrated and saying, I have pricing data, we're paying too much. States coming in over top and saying, we're going to put price caps on. Clearly, we're an outlier on our commercial rates as a percentage of Medicare. So I'm thinking those kind of changes, for whatever reason, and they're just in pockets, but there seems to be more energy in other sectors or parts of the healthcare spectrum, especially on the buyer side, that is going to continue to amp up. And those are becoming much more real. Leadership teams are, are reacting. Rebecca and Brian, thanks so much for sharing. I love this stuff. This is what we do when we get together. It's so fun to hear your stories from the road. We'll look forward to hearing your perspectives again soon. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes, and you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Visient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at visientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.